Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Positive psychology is the study of what makes people happy, fulfilled and mentally well. Instead of focusing solely on problems and mental illnesses, positive psychology explores the strengths, virtues and positive aspects of human behaviour and emotion. It seeks to understand how people can lead more meaningful lives, develop their strengths and cultivate positive emotions like joy, gratitude and resilience. So what does positive psychology look like in practice? And how can this approach benefit healthcare professionals and their patients? To discuss these issues, I'm joined by Dr. Jan McFarlane, lecturer in health and social care at the University of Bolton. During discussions, Jan touches on insights from her newly published book, Positive Psychology for Healthcare Professionals, a toolkit for improving wellbeing which presents 11 different interventions that have proven effective in improving well-being. Listen in as we touch on positive psychology practices, such as gratitude journaling, mindfulness and self-compassion activities. My name's Jan McFarlane and I work as a lecturer at the University of Bolton and I specialise in the area of health and social care, which is quite a broad-ranging topic. And I come from a nursing background, general nursing and mental health nursing, although I have been in education for many years. Uh, my particular research interest is positive psychology and the well-being of staff, both in healthcare and educational backgrounds. So um, sort of as a starting point, could you break down what positive psychology is all about and sort of what makes it different to other branches of psychology? Okay, that's a great question. So positive psychology is the scientific study of what constitutes well-being and how people can flourish by using their strengths. And it has, um, if you like, expanded into a range of positive psychology interventions. But if people decide to use them, try them, there is evidence that shows that it does increase well-being. And it differs from branches of psychology so very, very much. Psychology, got to remember, has been going probably over the last 100 years. And famous psychologists is like Freud and Skinner and Maslow. And this is, if you will, aligned to it in as much that there are similar kind of areas. But possible psychology looks at people's needs and problems and tries to fix them. Positive psychology looks at people's strengths and talents and what we can do to make it better. And with positive psychology, you don't need to be ill. You can be, in fact, it's better in a sense if you're well and we can build upon that. Um, and it's 20 years old, effectively. So it's still got quite another 100 years to catch up on. So it'd be interesting to see in 100 years' time uh, who's doing the podcast then or whatever form that takes to see how it's developed. We have a very strong medical model in positive psychology, and you're probably familiar with terms such as cognitive behavioural therapy and various areas of counselling. With positive psychology, what we're looking at here is wellness and developing techniques to promote it, to actually promote thriving. So in the last 20, 23 years now it will be, there has been a lot of development and it's very exciting to see what's happening in the future because it's carrying on building. And obviously very excited about the topic. If you get me started, I can't stop. So I'm conscious of the question. It's very interesting and it's something quite different. It's not something that I've really come across, although some of the concepts, which we'll go into in a little bit, you know, we all know about, but it's kind of... Um, under the umbrella of psychology, it, I, I didn't realise it sort of fell under that, really. 
years ago when psychology started off, people did look at wellness. You know, that, that, that's the case. But after World War One and World War Two, what happened was is that the grants for developing research interests were often provided by the big pharmacological companies. So their interest is finding what medicines work and what medicines don't, which laid it down the path of working with people who were ill, if, if you will, to use that term. So positive psychology, yes, it is kind of new, but it's been going for thousands and thousands of years under different guises. So um, the interest has been sparked 20 years ago. What I want to say is it's not about being happy. And I think sometimes journals and newspapers sort of focus on this. We've got to be happy all the time. And that isn't the case. In terms of wellness, often um, people would see that more from an Eastern philosophy and that we want to have contentment and peace of mind. And we need to also recognise that to have negative feelings is part of the human condition. How do we know what happy is unless we know what unhappy is? To have anger and agitation is part of our life. But also we need to be joyous in the positive qualities that we have as well. So for me, positive psychology is very much about getting the balance. So when we bring this approach into the real world, could you describe some of the practical applications of positive psychology particularly in healthcare settings, which your book focuses on. And perhaps you can draw on some of the positive psychology activity, as you mentioned, in your publication. Absolutely. Practical applications. Well, what I like about them is that they're free, or they should be. I think that they are user-friendly. I think there is a great variety. There's probably over 100 positive psychology interventions, but what I have chosen to do in my book is to centralise on the ones that have more validity and reliability and have had the most research done around that topic. They're also very time-effective, and research has suggested that doing a positive psychology intervention regularly, it can make a difference with actually a week of one's lifespan. Clearly, the more that you do it, the greater the effect. But this is what I thought at the beginning of my research. It sounds almost too good to be true. The thing about it is, is behaviour change. And like we all do, we think of a good idea, and it's great for the first few weeks, and then afterwards we kind of like, taper off as in how many gym memberships have I taken out and um, seven weeks later have paid for the uh, the great chance of not going to the gym at all so I think with positive psychology interventions it's the motivation the application that is therefore their worthwhile effectiveness overall but we're starting off from a what can go wrong if you like you know let, let's give it a go and see and I think with positive psychology interventions there are many that I would start with the ones that feel most natural the ones that feel that are the nicest fits the ones that are more reliant, and therein you've got built-in success at the very beginning. Which ones would you sort of, if you were going to highlight some of those interventions, and which ones do you think would be sort of most um, sort of applicable for people? That would be sort of, I don't know which ones are more, more popular than others, but so if you were drawing on some of those. I would say that mindfulness is probably the most popular looking at the headlines and the journals. That seems to be the one that has harnessed people's interest. Now, for myself, I didn't start off with mindfulness. I started off with positive psychology and positivity, if you like, from an over from, from an overview. And I think that one of my favourite interventions is looking at character strengths. And this is uh, a body of knowledge that has been developed over the years. And it's about self-awareness. Uh, character strengths is underlined by uh, the leading psychologist is Ryan Nemec. And Part of the research has been identifying 24 character strengths. So I'm not willing to say they're all strengths. And one of the great interventions I found worked really well as an individual with classes is that people could go online, and it's free, 
and you can answer some questions. And at the end of it, the computer will identify from your answers which of your character's strengths are most prominent. So it ranks it from 1 to 24. But research shows that developing the top five are the ones that are more harmonious to you. And clearly, doing it at the time, you put one lot of questions in, and if I did it in two weeks' time, you might say, well, you're going to put different questions in. But research has shown over time that we have signature strengths, that they are the ones that are true to us. So, for instance, I have done this over the last five years, and my character strengths of love have always been there. Perseverance has always been there, and level of learning has always been there. But there's been others that have kind of come in and come out depending on my life experiences. I find that's a really good starting off point for people to make it personalised. Mindfulness undoubtedly said that was the most popular, if you like, and mindfulness is the one that's been identified by NICE, which is the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, as being one that is beneficial for patients and staff. So obviously I wanted to gear healthcare professionals to that. And mindfulness, really if you like to bust the myths, it's not about sitting on a cushion and arming for an hour. Mindfulness is doing an activity that, if you like, helps you concentrate on your breath, become aware of your surroundings and it might not always be breathing exercises but it's been in the here and now. One of the other interventions that I feel very strongly about is the intervention of developing self-compassion and the researcher that is almost like the self-compassion is Kristin Nett and she says about self-compassion that it's important to treat ourselves as we would a good friend. I think in healthcare we are very very quick to criticize ourselves or to criticize others and almost see self-compassion as uh, indulgent, that we shouldn't feel that we are worthy. Female-dominated workforce, undoubtedly, and we've been taught to care for others. And healthcare is frantic. We've come through COVID. It's often 12-hour shifts with very low resources. And that time of looking after ourselves, often, we often feel we need permission to do it. And if we do it, we're kind of being indulgent. So self-compassion activities are very important to realise the worth of oneself, not self-esteem because that's an element of competition, but to realise how valuable you are. And I believe if we don't look after ourselves, then I think the care that we give to others will be missing in some way. So I think to care for ourselves means we can give better care. The research would strongly suggest that. Another activity would be the positive psychology intervention of developing kindness and compassion which is just such a natural link with healthcare, isn't it? We do it on a daily basis, but research has shown that to develop kindness and compassion has that pay-it-forward effect and that if someone's kind to me, I am much more likely to pass that on to others. And some people are naturally kind. Some people may be less so. And if we look at character strengths, one of the strengths there is kindness. And when I did some research with healthcare professionals, kindness was in the top five of over three hundred participants and that's what we want in healthcare for sure isn't it that was very gratifying and one that's getting very very popular and this is the intervention that is shown to have the quickest effect is gratitude and the demonstration of gratitude and people often find that it's a useful intervention by journaling literally writing down the action of what one is grateful for and to appreciate what we have not always what we want and sometimes you can think well if i took one of those away how less my life would be. So rather than thinking about what I want, it's about that, if you like, ability to say, well, I want what I've got. And it can be very something very, very simple. It can be something that's maybe an aspiration. It could be like today, we've just said, what lovely autumn weather. Aren't we lucky to experience that? But to take time to actually know that 
and in our rush of our daily life, it can so easily be forgotten. Those are the ones that I would say are the ones that are definitely scientifically backed as evidence showing that that makes a positive effect on people. And you can do them now. You can set time aside five minutes max, you know, 10 minutes if you fill in a questionnaire. These are not things that are taken an hour and two hours, things that can be done within our day if we choose to use our agency and do something about it. What I love about your book is is the fact that you can apply it and it could also, it doesn't have to be healthcare professionals. You could apply it whoever you are. And it's really powerful to think that you can, like you said, it doesn't cost you necessarily, you don't have to go to therapy or you don't have to sit with a person that is trained in this necessarily, although that could be helpful. You could actually just do it yourself and, and get the benefits of it. And what I liked about your book is that it really gives you those prompts and it gets you to think in different ways and actually you may not feel that it's necessarily applicable to you. But I think just working through those those questions and those activities, I think could be really useful, a useful way into sort of taking a step back and actually reflecting on your life, which is almost what a lot of these activities tend to do. It seems like that you sort of just step back and, you know, we don't really get moments to do that, you know, unless we actually decide to, you know. And um, and I guess, yeah, I suppose it, I wonder how... Um, how difficult it is for healthcare professionals to actually get that time because obviously they're really busy. But um, have you seen sort of how anyone that's applied this sort of like how easy or, or what it would take for them to really apply some of those activities in their in their everyday life? So as part of the research, what I did do is design and develop a course for different groups of healthcare professionals. Nursing uh, Associates was a group that I worked with quite closely as well as Foundation Health. Uh, care apprenticeships and what we did was assess their well-being at the beginning of the course and the course ran for one day a week over six weeks and we assessed their well-being at the end of the course and there was an increase statistically significant increase not just all think i'm better it was actually measured by a computer with big sums so that was gratifying from the scientific perspective because it could have come that there was no difference or even worse it could have come with created a worse well-being, which obviously is not what we wanted. So that was gratifying. Um, an example that I can give you with a practical application is one of the ladies on the course got in touch with me and said, the character strength, she said, I took that back to work. She said, and the staff nurse was really interested. So marvellous. She said, and what we did as a team, everybody did via assessment online. And what staff nurse did was got the results and put on the ward of the office everybody's top five character strengths is like a little poster. And I thought that was a great idea for someone to demonstrate leadership and to role model and to say that was really interesting what you brought back. So everybody that came in the office every day that was reminded there of what, these are what your strengths are. And I thought that was a really nice thing to put on the notice board to actually co- make the team cohesive. It's an opportunity to discuss. It's an opportunity to say, well, I don't know where that strength came from. Who'd have thought that? So it gives an opportunity to... So debate and reflect. And I love the point you said about things being transferable because it so is. I feel like I could take healthcare professionals out and add another name. But all the research I've done and all the references relate to healthcare because that's my background, obviously. But it is so transferable. And I think that to be able to take something and be creative with that, I find that I'm learning from people as well. So I've had lots of emails saying that's really helpful. I've done it with staff members. I've done train the trainer with staff members. And that's something that if you like, I want to keep on going with. So, yeah, I think there has been positive feedback. Having said that, not, it's not working for everybody. You know, one of the people said, well, can I do maths? They're supposed to come into this course if you want. 
you know, because it's voluntary, almost making you do it. And I, I thought, well, well done you. But, you know, the majority of people stayed with me. And again, for me, I was thinking, well, why would you not want to do this course? And it was a great learning reflective point for me because actually it isn't for everybody. Just because I'm interested in it doesn't mean everybody is. And that made me feel quite grounded. Yeah, it's very interesting. And um, and the fact that you have, obviously, your background is, you know, in the healthcare profession. But it does seem to be that, well, over the, you know, over the last few years, especially highlighted during COVID, that, you know, a lot of healthcare workers have faced really incredibly strong feelings around sort of loneliness and anxiety, fear and anger. And what would you have said to them, the people that are experiencing those sort of aspects of life? What would you pick out to, to help them overcome those those particular feeling yeah an interesting question a massive one really isn't it because we're so different so part of it would be that being up to date in research if you will is part of our code that's not how i'd start a conversation off but to be involved in what research is saying is something that's part of us you mentioned reflection which is a massive part of our job but i think to pick up knowledge in the first instance is important and knowledge in positive psychology is kind of like known about the nerdy with the scientific part with where the magic happens. So one of my colleagues that did train the trainer, she thought the, the aspect of neuroplasticity was fantastic. And she said, well, I'm going to make sure I mention that in every lesson. So the fact that the brain actually changes with doing these interventions and we're forming new neural pathways actually made it for her. And the reduction of adrenaline, but the increase of oxytocin and neurotransmitters. So that really lighted her up but if you're not interested in neuroscience that's not going to be your particular sort of interest is it so that was one of the things I think also from Pete from what you mentioned about we've gone through the last few years we have got into a pattern of going I'm fine even if we're not because actually to talk about why we're not fine would take too long it makes us often too vulnerable and we always say are you all right as opposed to how are you? And that's something that we don't we want in counselling. But actually, where is that safe where is that safe space? So positive psychology works on an individual basis, but it can work in groups as well. The important thing is to keep it safe. You know, people say, Well, you gotta it's, it's psychology, so you've got to know about me and my brain. No, we're not. Absolutely not. It's absolutely safe. You know, there's nothing more different to what that would be. I think to know what our punishers are as individuals, you know, these ideas of perfection, we've got to get it right. You know, we must do this, I should do that. Give them a name. You know, what toxic patterns are you sort of akin to? Um, are you toxic that I've got to make sure this is right? I've got to get a grade A's all the time. Or is it is it your toxicity about what people think of you? And also then we need to talk about our protectors. What can we do to look after ourselves, to be self-compassionate, to identify people at work who are supportive to us and not, disadvantages to us and maybe that goes in life as well i think what i would say to people in terms of benefiting of it share the knowledge share your fears share your feelings have a healthy discussion we have a, and also this idea that, that it is down to us and i'm mindful of that and one of the researchers mcquade and many others you know yes we have a responsibility to look after ourselves but so is the organization and that's really important. And I know a lot of organisations are taking on this now and looking at wellbeing. The issue is a policy has to be put into action. It's no good just writing the wellbeing policy. It has to be put in and measured and people contribute to it. And I think that's along where the sticking point is because we might have great ideas, but doing it for real, not always the case. 
not always the case. But that's, an, that's that's probably another conversation to be had. But I have acknowledged that in the book for sure. And um, as nurses or healthcare professionals, again, as part of our codes of conduct, we need to be aware of what research is out there. But I was hoping that people might be feeling interested in perhaps doing their own research, perhaps contributing to this body. So rather than being the research person, have a go at doing it yourself. That's who I started off. So it might not be the rest randomized controlled trial in the world, but to actually try it yourself, that's a really good learning for an early career researcher. And, you know, I'm open for business there if anybody wants to say, well, how did it go for you? Because it wasn't perfect. You know, it took a lot of hours, a lot of head scratching, a lot of, oh my goodness, SPSS and stats, what's that about? That's how I started off. So I felt as though, you know, I've walked in the boots of others and I'd be very happy if somebody walked into my boots as well because I would also learn from them, but great to pick up the mantle and go forward. Mentioned earlier on about early psychologists, um, you know, we are of our time. Who knows who the psychologist, positive psychologists of the future are going to be? They are out there somewhere. That's very interesting. Yes, and it's and it's great that when I mean, that's what's wonderful about research, isn't it? That everyone builds on each other's research, and, and it takes you, you know, forward. Hopefully, it takes you forward each time. Um, so, uh, coming back to sort of the positive psychology approaches, um, what would you say are the sort of the strengths of of them, and potentially what are the the drawbacks of positive psychology? So I think the strengths are that we are developing our research methodology much more strongly than was in the past. So I think that the um, studies are sort of standing up on their, on their own. And um, there's always going to be uh, the, the arguments in research about quantitative and qualitative. So people will want the quantitative and the stats and the statistically significant, absolutely. But there's a strong body saying, but it's people's experiences that are the valuable parts of the information. And I've got a foot in both cans, probably more qualitative than quantitative by nature. But, you know, if you've got a randomized controlled trial that shows something, you know, that's obviously what you, what you want to put out there. I think that one of the strengths of it is that as we're learning more, the findings are becoming much more nuanced as our, as our learning develops. I think the positive psychology strength is that there's such a variety of interventions that have been scientifically studied that gives us clear direction. I think one of the strengths of the fact that you are not limited by gender or by age or by social class. So I think demographically it opens up into a lot, lots of areas and, and disadvantaged areas as well. And I think one of the strengths is going back to my lovely friend Agatha, neuroplasticity. How cool is it that by doing this it actually changes your brain? Who just thought? So you know, that, that, that is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? That we can actually change. Like if we're doing exercises, we can change our muscle strength. By doing that, we can change our brain strength as well. In terms of weaknesses, the things that are leveled against it are that it's too individual, that it's not taking in enough sociological concept. So it's all about you, not about society. And again, one of my great friends who's a great sociologist, that's her beef with me. But positive psychology, one of its tenets is that it is there for the good of society. And I think that the uh, the most recent research coming out is actually including sociological concepts along the way. I think that, you know, tools, there'll be um, discussion out there saying that that assessment tool isn't very good, that questionnaire isn't very good. Well, that's healthy research discussion, isn't it? So I, I think people could be sceptical, but not cynical. So it's right to say that could be stronger because you're going, you know, you're absolutely right. Next time it will be. 
So I think that although it's a weakness, I think it's a healthy weakness. All right. And I think also one of its weaknesses is the, the positive psychology pioneers who I have written about in some depth. They're all from North America. So clearly there's a westernized influence there. And some people would argue there's not enough Eastern, Eastern philosophy brought in. But again, I feel that might be development for the future. That's what I'd like to think. You know, much more aware now of cultural identification. And by accepting different cultures, that makes us much more psychologically rich anyway in society. So I think that may, that may be a change. This idea, I think I mentioned before, about seeing this individual responsibility and not linking into organisational responsibility is a current weakness. But let's hope that the balance might be, be a bit more balanced in the future. And weaknesses, again, I've alluded to this, I think, a couple of times. You've got to use your personal agency to do it. No one's going to do it for you. And I think that's one of its weaknesses, but also one of its strengths, because when it turns on that it's actually making a difference, the drive is there. You're so right, because I think a lot of interventions or a lot of therapies, it's always dependent upon that interaction that you have with the healthcare professional. And it, it's great, often it's great when that, while that lasts, but then, you know, and over time people do try to maybe carry it on. But then if you haven't got those skills yourself to take it through, then then that's where it falls down and, and probably doesn't work. But I guess with something like this, because you can and follow your book, you know, you can actually do these activities and um, and build upon them and, and probably, you know, get feedback as well. So, I mean, there is this idea that positive psychology is overly concerned with individual self-improvement and personal responsibility at the expense of community well-being and flourishing. And I know you mentioned that that was one of the things that's come up before. Um, I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, that's a very valid point. It's worth talking about, isn't it? Well, well, well-being can be well-doing. Um, positive psychology is very individual. However, looking at the research, it, there is lots and lots of studies out there where it has been carried out with, patient, with patients, clients, service users. It's used extensively in end of life. It's been used in orthopedics. It's been used in psychiatry. So I would see that as a sense of community well-being and flourishing within the health and healthcare sector. And looking at its philosophy, if you will, it started off, you know, almost many years ago, if you like, with Aristotle and this about the well-being of people. And then we've got the ethics and the, the greater good of which healthcare is, is based on. And I think that perhaps using it might help us to bridge that gap between well-being and change at a future date and I think if we remember that kindness and compassion is important healthcare and actually you know it's part of our code of conduct and part of our standards so from a personal and professional aspect I just you know I just feel very strongly it's something we should be aware of even if we're choosing not to use it at least know about it to know to discount it because it makes us it gives us the act of professionalism in our day-to-day and the book it's got quite a few chapters in there. So if you get to thinking, well, character strength isn't for me, fine, move on. You might go back to it another time, take a risk. You might want to look at humour. Yeah, look at humour. So although the book is put in the order that I feel makes sense to me, that doesn't mean that you can. You have to start at the beginning and work your way through. Go to the title that you feel naturally attracted to. And then if you feel like you want to take a bigger risk, go to one that you think, well, I might not like it. You might be pleasantly surprised. I was just wondering, sort of like when we do think about the individual, and it was obviously going to be mainly individuals that look at this, I would have thought, um, although you said it could be um, done in a group setting. I just wonder how it can sort of unleash latent talents that we have in us and sort of creative forms of self-care. 
that we might not have really thought about unlocking those strengths that we've got in us and talents that we've got in us by following some of the activities. And I don't know if you've you've experienced that yourself or you've seen anyone that's actually found that this through doing these activities um, and these interventions that they've actually discovered something about themselves that they didn't know was there before. Well, I suppose that's a lifelong journey, isn't it? So certainly with the character strengths, I, I felt that when I did my I kind of speak myself, obviously, in that sense, I did my five. I was quite proud of them. But I thought, well, why isn't humour in there? But when I looked at actually watching more as a character's strength, I realised that it is in there, but the ones that I had identified were actually more me. And I think if somebody wants to look at a strength that's not in the top five, then that's also recommended. I think for me as a starter offer for anybody, I'd go with the ones that are in my top five to work with because I believe in making life easy and doing it in steps that are achievable. But, you know, there's a lot of scope out there. I, I mentioned before about the punishers and the protectors. And I think it's really important that we get to know ourselves as best we can. So that for me, I know that I'm a ruminator and I'm an overthinker. So I need to recognize when that is happening and share when you mentioned about sharing with others and to say to people, am I doing that again? And they'll go, yeah. So it's not being frightened of the areas that perhaps we could develop because they are part of us. I think that accepting our imperfections and increasing appreciating our self-worth would give us that um, dynamism and, if you like, the excitement about trying new things in terms of uh, creativity. Because I think that means about taking a risk, really, and maybe doing something you've not done before. And creativity often comes when we're walking the dog or having a walk in the park or washing the pots or doing something where we're not trying too hard. And that brings me to the topic of flow. And flow is a recognized state where you are engaged in an activity that is strong enough to give you challenge, but you do have the skills to work with it. And it's that time, and you might have experienced it yourself, Rebecca, where time has just gone. How long is that feeling, whether it's a hobby or an interest or an essay or, or a, a painting, painting house or something where the time has just gone. So in terms of creativity, I feel that to be able to identify those kind of activities are the ones where you feel enjoyment, but you feel energised and you feel that you have accomplished something and you've probably done it in plans and goals and steps and somebody said, well done, that was really nice or I enjoyed working with you at that time. You know, looking back over your history, there'll be times when we were in flow and the time has just gone. So I think in terms of creativity it's identifying those opportunities and I've developed a model on iFlow and it is one of the chapters of the book and it's very much about finding that sweet spot and there are times where we might be working too hard or overthinking or becoming drained and we need to recognize that to bring it forward there are times when I've no doubt we've lay on the couch and not moved or not wanted to move and felt thoroughly demotivated being able to recognize that and bring it to the center it's being able to feel, I call it realistic optimism, because I think sometimes we do something new and we think it's going to be great and work and it's wonderful. And that isn't right either. Or we can be a little bit like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh and think, that's not going to work. So flow is about finding that beautiful sense of balance. And I liken it to a gymnast where they have spent years and years and years being able to balance on a ball or walk a tightrope and, and that perfection and poise. And I think with positive psychology, it takes, not saying it takes years of practice, but I think it takes time to carve out who you are and to be able to find that sweet spot, but an awful lot less time than it does to become an Olympic gymnast. That's exciting. 
so interesting and it's such a lot for the audience to think about and and myself and um yeah really sort of see it's better quality of life in in some respects isn't it I, I guess just yeah we could haven't necessarily we can't always do those activities that make us feel you know the best or that we enjoy the most but all the time but you know where we can and where we've got the control to do that then it's yeah it, I guess that you know why, why not you know why not make the most out of those opportunities always going to say there's not enough time always going to say not enough time but this is quick easy have a go say I'm going to do it today let's see how it is in a week's time let's see how it is in two weeks time keep it manageable keep it goals that we can achieve and that's the key to it I hope you enjoyed our episode on positive psychology. You can find more information about my guests and a transcript of the episode on our website. A huge thanks to my guests and to you for listening. My gratitude also goes to podcast producer Daniel Ridge and the studio This Is Distorted for making this episode possible. <laughs>